0: As Femi has said, we are a gospel-centered church. And what what we're trying to do with these couple of services, especially this month, is to look at the gospel. We really want to look at the gospel. Uh, We could take a year to look at the gospel. We could take a few years to look at the gospel. But I think as these three long services are going on, let's take a month. We want to look at the month to look at the gospel. Next month, as we said, go to a church, a gospel-centered church. We're going to look at the church. And then uh, the month after that would... Focus a bit about on the urban nature of our, of our church. So we'll look at some topics that actually strike um, at the heart of what it means to be a right? I can, I can give you a bit of exposure We'll be looking at marriage, all right? I thought you'd <laughs> <laughs> And then we'll also be looking at our work, faith and work, and how the Christianity affects that. All right? And then finally, we we'll go into December where we we'll look at a few things. So last time we spoke about a gospel status, talking that in the in the in what it means to be a Christian is that a status is conferred upon us. And a status is also not so much something that is done in us, but something that is put upon us. And so we said that normally all systems of the world will try to say for you to earn something, you need to get a performance record, you need to do well on the performance record and that earns you a particular kind of status But we say, look, if you use that with God, you will only be condemned you' not trying to, to do that with the law. And also we try to do it with ourselves, we never meet up Or if we meet up, after our standards are so low uh, or, And then we start to look down upon people But God gives us an alien righteousness The righteousness is that status immediately which precedes the performance record Alright? And so to be saved or to have experienced Jesus Christ, you so have that status given to you. Now today we want to look a little bit into more into that uh, well not the status, but something that flows from that, and that is the gospel life. Okay. So if Jesus Christ died and just Christ rose again, we have these blessings. First blessing is we get a status, we are justified in Him. The next one is that we have a different kind of life. So this today we're looking at gospel life. And have I left my notes? No, I can't okay. Alright, So let me ask the question what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? And I look for a more positive staff quality. Some of the things I've actually personally I've, I've enjoyed watching over the internet in this last couple of years is go from the campaigns. You know, go from the campaigns, right? And you, you want the, the more touching one is someone is very ill. People don't have enough money to actually send that person for surgery. And what do we do? We set up this GoFundMe campaigns. we kind of tweeted out Facebook, and people that don't know anything about that person just give from all around the world. It's part of the best of the human spirit. Or you think about innovation, think of the likes of Steve Jobs and things they've done that will actually, you know, help the human race, essentially, if you think of the social media, um, or let me say the information um, uh, age that we're in now. Many things help us. Think of healthcare, think of the likes of Marie Curie, the people that founded a lot of the um, 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 vaccines that have really extended human life, natural human life, in our lifetime. And so there's so much to say, or you can just think about the Olympics, think about the Paralympics, people that actually with disabilities in life, eventually through the human spirit, are able to achieve things that normally we would say they can't achieve. What does it mean to be human? Well, there's so many of those things. And yet, I think about another aspect of humanity, and at this point, I must call on, wait for it, Michael Jackson. Now, uh, in, in 1982, he took a 1982 hit of Michael Jackson, um, he pictures, and by the way, you know what it I'm talking about for everyone, because everyone here was born before 1982, but he pictures his life in the city. Look about human nature, he pictures his life in the city. And, he's, and this is quite relevant to us. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm sure. I so anyway, back to So he pictures his life in the city and probably he has a girlfriend or a wife, but there's an allure, an allure from the city, almost like and almost like a woman, like you see his book of Proverbs, you know, the strange woman and he's calling him calling him in the night. And at first he tries to resist, but at this point he said, Look, the four walls of this place are not going to hold me back tonight. I'm actually going to go. So he goes he get whatever he wants, and you know, someone is hurt. And he says, Look, look, if whether it's my wife or my girlfriend well, or anybody it. asks you, Why, why do you do me this way? Just tell them this it's human it's nature. Or well, I don't know if any of you is into 1980s Britpop, right? I think, at least counting from number that I see here, the number of you that will be into 1980s Britpop will be about zero. But still, I'm going to bring it up to the fact called Human, human League, right, it's got number one hit, uh, but immediately the they sang a song called um, I'm Only Human. And the story of that song was essentially a guy who was asking for forgiveness from his girlfriend because he cheated on her while she was away. And what he was saying to her was, look, his explanation was, and this is the cross of the verse, I'm only human of flesh and blood, I am made. I'm only human born to make mistakes, but the wife the girl said she had a very very good response to him. She said, well, you know the tears that I have, they are not tears of shame, they are pain. She also asked him to forgive her, because she said she would forgive him, because whilst he was the way, she was human too. So what does it mean to be human? To be flesh and blood, and to make mistakes. Matthew God tells us that is to follow your desires. Quite often in Disney World today and all the cartoons that are children, what they say, follow your heart. Follow your desires. That is what it means to be human. Because these things, we feel them, to not be human is to not act upon them. Now I think this passage says a lot, Romans 8, 1-13, about what it means to be human. And I wanted to explore that in the little time that we have, and we'll do that, in three points. Alright, being human, want to think of the realms, want to think of the battle, and want to think of the power. The realms, the battle, and the power. Now verses 8-9a, to we see this thing, we are introduced to two different kinds of realms. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. So we have these two realms, the flesh and the spirit, let's take the flesh first. Now the flesh is not so much as is often used in the New Testament by Paul, it's not really, occasionally it's used this way, but it's not really this physical body that we see. Neither is the flesh a particular nature that is working within us, but the flesh is a realm. A realm that stands in opposition and hostile rebellion against against God, so like verse 7a says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. If it was the apostle John that was writing, he would call it the world. Love not the world or the things that are in the world. Now, since what we will call in Christianity the fall of Adam, all human beings have been destined to be controlled, to living for things other than pleasing God. So in verse 8, we see that those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. If they are controlled by the power of the flesh there, you are living a life that doesn't please God. Abba is a towards Him. They cannot submit to Him. Think about it. In the same time that we've had all these modern inventions, the last 20th century, 20th century, probably the most technologically advanced century, the most modern century of all age, That has been the bloodiest century. ever. So we are advancing in one area of humanity, but at the same time we have had two world wars, countless tribal and ethnic wars, and the thing goes on and on and on. This particular kind of mind, when it is governed in this way, cannot please God. In fact, in this realm, Paul in another letter in Galatians chapter 5 says, this realm and the influence of this realm produces a particular lifestyle. That lifestyle we call, The thing that comes out of that lifestyle are the acts of the flesh. So he says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, he's saying, This is inexhaustible. As I did before, and i warned you before that those who live like this will not inherit the Kingdom of God Now you know, part of our problem is that we pick and choose our morality I was watching um, one, one of these, uh, not shows, but um, I won't call the name but someone is interviewing a couple of people who is on TV. I don't know if you've heard of Indanity and they bring up these hot-button discussions, right? And so one of them was um, you know, should we have sex before marriage? And the first thing they always do is, let's, let's put religion out of this, right? And the next thing is, and they were conversing, and, I mean, three I think, out of the four of them said, well, they've had sex before marriage, and the way they express the thing is, let's be real. Let's put religion out of this, but let's be real. Now, while watching this, I wanted to ask those people if I had the chance to say, when you think about people who are extremely rich and oppress the poor, and that is the way they feel, right? We're talking about injustice, born out of inequality. When you think about people like, like that, why don't we say, let's be real? In other words, we choose our own morality. When things don't go according to how we feel, we call it a vice. When things are in accordance with how we feel and what we want, we call it just being human. But in that kind of way we prove something, that actually we do not believe in, we do believe in a God, only that that God is ourselves. How can this be sustainable? Now if you say, let me just go, let's go, let's build that morality just based on how we we feel. Well, some people will think that it's okay for white people to oppress black people, some people will feel that some people should not sleep with other people, everything will be misman. This kind of way of thinking cannot set up any objective morality, in other words, you cannot tell somebody what you're doing is wrong. You can say what I feel like what you're doing is wrong, but you cannot in any objective way say what you're doing is wrong. So that's the reflection. Let's talk about the other realm, which is the realm of the Spirit. Now, for this, I need to keep, do a little bit. A little bit. I promise you, won't be too long. But a bit of theology on the gospel story. So, if we turn to Acts chapter two, if we turn to Acts chapter two, I'm going to read a few verses. But let me put the setting there. Acts chapter two. Jesus Christ has risen. In Acts chapter one, he's about to ascend into heaven. So he calls his disciples. He tells them that they should wait. Don't do anything. I've commissioned you, but don't don't go anywhere until. The Holy Spirit comes on high. I have promised it, and I'm going to give it to you. And so, what then happens is a couple of them, 120, are praying in an upper room, and they are praying and praying, and eventually the Holy Spirit comes. So he says he's going to baptize them in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. They are baptized in the Spirit, and as a result of that, people are speaking in tongues. And then, then Jerusalem. There are many people that come for the feast, which uh, is that of Pentecost. They've come from all around the diaspora and they've come to see. So they're seeing this weird phenomenon. They think these people are drunk, but it's too early for them to be drunk. And then Peter then speaks to explain. Now, verse 16 to 17, he says, No, this is what was spoken that if they're not drunk, this is what was spoken by the Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour, notice that word, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Stop. In other words, the gospel, Jesus Christ died and is risen again, is connected to the outpouring of the Spirit. We see that. Right? Jesus Christ has risen, he's promised them that he's going to pour out the Spirit, and now Peter is preaching. I didn't go through all that, but he preaches the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, and now he is risen, now he's at the right hand of God, and he says, Now, in fulfillment of what Joel, the prophet Joel, said, he has now poured out his spirit. This baptism of the spirit that you are seeing, that Jesus poured out the spirit, explains why these people are speaking in tongues. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So we hear the preaching of the Gospel. How do we respond to it? And this part of what we've already discussed. We respond to it through repentance of faith. So he says, repent. And be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We'll talk about baptism next month. For the forgiveness of your sins, right? They should repent and believe. And what does he say after that? Can we all read together? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you believe, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice, it doesn't say, if you believe, you have the potential to actually receive the Holy Spirit. If you believe, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just as they did on the day of Pentecost. In other words, being saved is therefore necessarily connected to receiving the Spirit of Him that of the Spirit. It's not either or. Look at verse nine, B of Romans eight, where we are, where, where uh, Romans eight, where we were. It says, "Okay, let's just read verse nine. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God is in you, and if, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? They don't belong to Christ. You cannot, there is no such thing as a Christian who is not baptized in the Spirit. Now, there are other implications. There's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and also being baptized in the Spirit. All right? But there's no Christian that is not baptized in the Spirit. To receive of the Spirit is part of what it means to be a Christian. Remember, we started with the status last week. Now we're talking about the life. Now, there's one, there's an antithesis. There's a realm of the flesh, those who have not received the status. But there is also a realm of the Spirit, those who have received this status. And part of the promise of the Gospel is that if you receive this status, you also are baptized, you receive the Spirit. Another theological term, if we are talking in theology, right, week we are talking about justification, this week we will then be talking about regeneration or being born again. Being born again is not a status. Instead of something conferred upon you, but being born again is something that happens to you inside of you. Except the man is born of the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. So let me read another verse that uh, 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 parts of scripture that bring all this to life. Titus 3 verse 4 to 7. Titus 3 verse 4 to 7. For when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared saved us, alright, so we say, okay, He saved us, Jesus met the field, He saved us, I understand that. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. Not by what? By faith and the mercy of God. He saved us through the worship of rebirth, or regeneration, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom He, notice again, called out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become the heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So, as Christians, we experience this justification, the status. But we, the Holy Spirit comes, gives us new life, and by being poured out upon us, so that we can live the life we are meant to live. In other words, we are no longer of a particular nature. We have now been born again into another nature. Paul puts it in another way: If any man is in Christ, is what because of the point out of the Spirit. And this point out of the Spirit, that in which the Spirit gives us new life, if in the other part, the works of the flesh were to live in a particular way, the Spirit also produces another kind of life, which we then see in the following verses in Galatians 5, I'll take it there again, Galatians 5, verses 2, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please don't think that is exhaustive here. I the not 9 fruit of the Spirit, but Paul is giving, this is the kind of character that someone who is in the realm and is controlled by the Spirit, lives like. So in other words, if you remember in Acts chapter 2, the beginning when he says this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Job, he starts with saying, these are the last days. God promised that he will pour out his Spirit. In the last days. In other words, you know, sometimes in the 80s, 70s and 80s, there was a huge, you know, many people were getting into eschatology, eschatology is the study of the end. And I saying, these are the last days, these are the last days. When you read the scripture, actually, the last days started 2040. In other words, in that regard, now there is, there, there is the last of the last days, all right? The end of the last days. But well, in, in 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 certain in a certain sense, has, the last days have started at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when Jesus Christ has the Um, But, here's one more problem before we go to the second point. That we don't see. Have, if the last days have started, are we holy in the last days or are we kind of still in former days and we're anticipating the last days or what? what? Basically, there's an overlapping of the ages. And we'll say a little bit more about that. There's an overlapping of the ages in Christ Jesus. Jesus pours out the spirit, a new creation has begun, but at the same time, even though the new creation has begun, the old creation hasn't finally ended. So the spirit is poured out, the last days have begun, but at the same time, there is still the presence of the former age. Alright. So that's the theology. Alright, so you can wake up now for those of you that <laughs> second point is the battle. And really the question is. How then shall we live? He's spoken about these two realms. They are there. The passage has shown us clearly there are two realms. But theology is nothing if it doesn't work out in our daily lives. So how then shall we live? Well, in verse 13, we are told that it's all-out battle. It's an all-out battle. A battle where something has to die and some, in order for someone to live. He says, if you live in the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death. You see, the life of a Christian internally and externally, as some of you already know, is always seen as a battle. A battle between control or governance. You see, it says here that the, those whose mind are set on the Spirit. And then another one of mine in verse 6 the mind governed by the flesh is there, but the mind governed by the Spirit is there. Remember, I said it's not two natures inside us. It is control, it is a battle for control of two realms that are trying to affect us. And so we find this battle daily. Uh, the old uh, kingdom word will be mortified, the influence of the flesh that will want to manifest itself in the body. If I want to be very simple, the Christian life is about saying no and saying yes. No to the flesh and yes to the spirit. That's seven. How do we work on this? Not to the spirit and not to the end. and yes to the flesh. Do we somehow think in our mind? Wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. You get <laughs> the Verse seven. All right. Yes. To the I, you know what, I'm people are looking in the future. Why don't we just say yes? Ok, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Ok, so verse 7 says, because the, in, in, in our day there's a lot of, I don't want to do church, I don't want to live by dogmas and all that. I just want to follow the Spirit. The Spirit speaks to me. You know God spoke to me this morning, and God said this. i was God spoke to me this Now I don't want to denigrate that totally. But at the same time, there is a sense in which we want to say, look, no rules, no laws and all that. I just want to walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit is being in tune with God. I cannot tell you how many messages I've heard about how do you know how God speaks to you. Everybody has to determine how God speaks to them. You see, God speaks to me through visions, I okay. mean. God speaks to me through um, um, you know, just Perceiving people are trying to get, for some people, God speaks to them through indigestion. <laughs> I felt a rumbling in my stomach. God must be saying something. Hallelujah. I'd say that to be a bit facetious. anyone is offended by that, I'm sorry. But the truth is that again, verse 7, says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Why? It does not submit to God's law. If you are going to walk in the Spirit, I have news for you. It requires rules. The Spirit works in tandem with rules. In the Christian faith, not just in the Old Testament, i we read Ephesians 4, 18. There are lots of do's and don'ts. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. Lots of do's and don'ts. Now then you are here and you are saying, see this is why I don't want to be Christian. Right? This is why I want to be Christian. You curb my freedom for me to enjoy what I want to feel. Or some of you say, this is, now that." I now see where the church is going. I left my previous church because of legalism. Now you want to institute do's, don'ts, and whatever. I'm sorry, that's what the church, that's what the Bible says. But let me say something about freedom, first of all. Let's say something about freedom. What is freedom? The prevailing definition of freedom is the absence of rules. The absence of restrictions, right? I want to do something, I just want to, like you said, break free. The way to break free is to let go of all restrictions. But it's not really. I think the Christian faith offers a different and much more sensible definition of freedom. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Rather, it is the ability to flourish under the right restrictions. See that? Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, rather, it is the ability to flourish under the right restrictions. And in this you have to have two concepts of freedom. One is you can call negative freedom, freedom from. And the other one is positive freedom, freedom to. See that again? Negative freedom is freedom from something, and positive freedom is freedom to something. The purpose of negative freedom is to actually attain positive freedom. I am free from something so that I can be free towards something. Let's take this example. If in the name of, I don't want the government to be telling me what to do, the government is cutting my freedom, especially on the road. So I want to be free from the government's tyranny of giving us traffic laws. Well, if that was worked out, you will first quickly encounter Another curb on your freedom. Guess what it's called? Traffic (laughs) jams. If all the rules, the traffic rules, were taken out, just imagine what the roundabout would be like. Every man trying to get in for himself. Oh, we are free, aren't we? No, we've actually entered into bondage because we've moved from a place where we can have good laws into a place where we have bad laws. Why is slavery? Why was slavery such a genius thing? Is it because there were so many kinds of so many rules that like you can't do this as a slave, you can't actually eat with your master, you can't actually have this, all those things. No, so that's not why slavery was hideous. Slavery was hideous not because of the presence of restriction, but the presence of inhumane restrictions. You cannot flourish under those kind of laws. Legalism. Is really living under laws as a way, not as a way to flourish, but to pay debts that we cannot pay. If you set up rules and laws as a means through which someone can earn their foundation and standing before God, guess what those laws and rules do? It stifles those people. But that is not an argument to get rid of rules and laws. An unbeliever who becomes a Christian does not move from a place of lawlessness to a place now where he's under tyranny. You know I'm a Christian now, you know, you don't do those things. It's nice, you know, the the mycodactics version of the human version of the Nigerian version of all those things, in Nigeria, we call it, body of firewood. Right? I'm a Christian, therefore I cannot sleep with somebody else. It feels good though, but you know, we don't have to do this thing, let's just endure until that kingdom come. That is you not know, the concept of being under God's rules that Christianity actually brings the movement from a non-believer to a believer is not the movement from someone who was under no laws and was free into tyranny. It's the movement of the bondage of under sin to now the glorious liberty of the children of God. God's laws, because God actually sees all here from the beginning, are there to make us flourish. Therefore, to walk in the Spirit, as Galatians 5 said, or keep in step with the Spirit, is neither that we leave and let God, because now we are free. Paul says, we are free, right? We are free, we can just live in the Spirit anyhow we have No, it He oh, says, don't use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. It's not leave and let God, neither is it obey to be saved. Actually, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says it this way, you should continually be filled with the Spirit continually be filled with the Spirit. It has a negative side what we see here, you fight ruthlessly against the flesh. But if it has a positive side, you live in love towards all the people around you. Now in Ephesians 5, 18, sometimes, I always, this is why I always advise that, when you read your Bible, read the whole, at least for the epistles, in one sitting. read it. Quite often, how many of us have heard and have argued with You know this, uh, Ephesians 5.21 or 22, particularly 22, most men know Ephesians (laughs) 5.22 Women say they don't know it, but they actually, they just like to forget it. (laughs) Wives do what? Submit to your husband. Women so Right? But they you know the other one? Husbands, (laughs) love your wives. Now, quite often we read those verses, and okay, how about this one? You hated it when you were a child, now you love it as a parent. Children, obey your parents. And then this other one, you really hate this one if you're not an employer of labor. That is slaves submit, or employees submit to your masters. One of the things we often don't see in our disconnected reading of scripture is that those things follow Ephesians 5:18. Paul says, Here is what it is to live as someone who is continually filled by the Spirit. He first addresses how we it manifests itself, 19 to 20, how it manifests itself in the gathering of the lost people, singing spiritual songs to one another, admonishing one another in the faith. But then it envisions envisioned a new society of people who are living under the Spirit. So he said, if you are filled with the Spirit, it affects your mind. If you are filled with the Spirit, it affects your parenting. If you are filled with the Spirit, it affects your work. To the whole of This is what it means to be filled in the spirit. Husbands will sacrificially love their wife, putting their life on the line for their for the wife's good. Not always trying to get his own way. In fact, the only time he gets his own way, what he wants to get his own way, is for her good and she doesn't love it. Which kind of wife would you don't want to serve? <laughs> <laughs> Someone said, if, him, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Someone said, if that, if God wants to do all that, if you tell your wife to judge, you'll say, How high? How many times? Why? Well, it's, it's keeping in step with the Spirit. And it's the same thing in our places of work. And then it also affects how we do our parenting and all that. I don't want to belittle the point because time is going. But let me make this one more po- one more point. Even though I said I wasn't going to make it in this second, in this second. What does it mean? There's often this debate that has gone on in Christianity. It goes something like this. Then you see one particular pastor or a particular Christian leader. and say, man, that guy has got kids. Look at how many people he's not. to God. Look at the effect. Look at this. Just listen to the way he speaks. The guy is captivating everyone. Then you hear a bit of the scandal about the guy. You say, Well, nobody's perfect. Who even knows? Stop from my anointed with throw it away. Because this man, with all the skill that he had and the gift he has, he's doing much for God. That's case one. Case two is this other one. You know, all these multitudes of people that are just going to all these churches. The thing is that they're going after the flesh. They're going after the flesh. All the Bible is actually pointing out. It's not for us to be moved by the gift of the Spirit. The most important thing is what? The fruit of the spirit is true. and in doing that, what have we done? We dichotomized the spirit, we separated him. We said, you know what? There is a hierarchy. Then the hierarchy some will say that the gifts of the spirit is most important because that brings most people back to God. Some of them will say, no, 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 it's about being faithful. Therefore, the fruit of the spirit by their fruit shall know them. Which is it? The answer is none. Why do you want to separate someone who actually is inseparable? Does the spirit actually work out character in us? Does the Spirit equip us to actually serve God's people? So, the the society that the the Spirit envisions and the Spirit is breaking is a society of loving service. Say that phrase loving service. Say it. Loving service. What is loving service? If you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 12 is telling us all the gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't tell us everything. If I read Romans 12, he gives us some more. 1 Corinthians 14, he's settling a dispute of prophecy and tongues. But in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, somehow, this marriage chapter of love is somehow dropped in. Why is it there? It seems out of place. We are talking about gifts. Why don't we continue gifts? Why are we now talking about love? Well, the reason is because the only way the gifts of the Spirit can actually serve the body is when they are done in love. That's so what Paul says, you have to, the only way you are going to demonstrate, or the only way you are going to stop abusive relationships or people being worshipped for their gifts is if those gifts are demonstrated enough love for the service of the people and not for that person. In other words, the Spirit is not trying to build just holy people. Holy people are going to have to be served by others. How do you become more holy if you are not serving other people in love? Don't separate what God has done. It is the same self-spirit that actually gives the gifts so that we can lovingly really serve one another. So you have the fruit of the spirit and you're gifted in the spirit so that you can serve with the skills that God has given you in the character that the spirit is also working. Do we get that? To be filled with the spirit, sometimes people have spoken, when the Bible speaks about someone was full of the spirit, sometimes it's talking about the character, like Stephen, for instance. But at the same time, it says that the father of John the Baptist, was filled with the Spirit and he prophesied. Is it the gift or is it the fruit? The answer is yes. And I'll move on to the final part. the power. The power. Now, you would say to me, is that enough? Just keep on obeying the rules? Because now the Spirit is actually there. It's all about cooperating with the rules. But then you will say to me, and I agree with you, that many of the believers are better than Christians in obeying actual certain rules. Am I wrong? Some of you have worked with. I have worked with there was a particular uh, man. That I worked with a Muslim man. This is one of the most well-mannered and kindest people I've ever met in my life. Far more than many Christians. In fact, put me to shame myself. Another point would be that. If you say just keep cooperating with the rules, look for me, I've been fighting this battle daily. How do I know that I will truly eventually win this battle? I have fallen several times. I have made 20 pounds to God on this particular issue and I keep coming back again. And you keep saying keep on keeping with the rules. But what if you're able to keep with the rules? You may then fall into this particular way of thinking that salvation is high. You've got to keep the rules. So, on the one hand, you can either be discouraged because you're not keeping the rules, on the other hand, if you're keeping the rules, you might start to think that you actually are, 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 are not like God simply on the basis of the fact that you keep all these rules. How do I win this battle? Well, the only way you can win this battle is not because you scored 80% today or you scored 20% today. Uh, 80% today as opposed to 20%. Even if you have 20%, that's why I to do the convention. The only way you win the battle is because a war has been won. You see, the battle is a small part, but the most important thing is the war. Let me give you an example. How many of us remember what they called D-Day in Second World War? Right, the Second World War. They were the day called D-Day. This was the day when the Allied forces launched against Hitler. But actually, they landed on the beach of Normandy, and they were, you know, right now at this point, the the um, the uh, commission and released the greatest um, uh, uh, um, number of people, actually, to ever fight in that in that particular at this point now, and on the day, everyone knew this. Everyone knew this. It was finished. Once they landed on the beach of Normandy, even though they had not killed almost all the Germans, and Germans had not surrendered, the Germans knew, and they knew, that the war was over. But the war did not end until another couple of weeks. That happened when the Nazis eventually surrendered. that will be called B.E.D. There were still battles to fight, even though they knew that the war had been won. And so there is a war that has been won, in Christian parlance we can say it is the journey from Christmas to Easter. If you look at verse 3 of, uh, of chapter 8, for what the law was Powerless. Remember we need power. What the Lord was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's what we celebrate at the Christian, The Incarnation. God Himself, God the Son, came in the likeness of this old humanity after Adam. And God achieved the end of the war. Why? Because that Son, it says, condemned. Sin in the flesh. In other words, he took sin on its own game and he condemned sin by going to the cross and then by winning the war. The war you are fighting is the war against sin. But guess what? You are not going to fight to win the war yourself. Or let me say it again the battle you're fighting is the battle against sin. But you are fighting that battle from a standpoint of victory because the war has been. Condensing in the flesh, in the old humanity. But there's more. Verse There was the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. That's easy. He didn't remain that way, He rose up into another human. This is why Colossians 1 says, he is the firstborn, or the first one from the dead. to The firstborn of creation. He's not talking about the firstborn of creation in the old Adam sense. Adam is the firstborn. He is the firstborn of creation by reason of the resurrection. That is, by 1 Corinthians 5 and 15, it says, there is a first Adam, and there is what? A second Adam. The first Adam was raised up by the Spirit, and that spirit, that. And so we don't fight. And believe me, you have to fight. It's not a leave and let God. Sin wants to eat your life. But he's prayed for you and He sent for the Spirit. And therefore you can fight the battle. You don't fight the battle as a result of, if I don't fight this, I will die. You fight it knowing that you live already. And therefore sin must not take dominion in your body. Now you may be someone here that isn't a Christian. He's been fighting already the demons inside. Some of it you already know that actually doesn't work out a good life for you. Now the question is, can you fight this on your own? Why not look to one who has fought this battle for you already? And believe what he says about you. You think you are bad, he says that you're worse than you think you are. And that's why he came and lived the life you should live the life you should have lived, and he died the death that you should have died. So that you can know that you are more loved than you ever did imagine. Why not open yourself to Him? Why not confess your sins? And now not receive the grace that He has. And for us that are Christians here, receive the grace by the power of the Spirit to live as the new humanity that you are. Paul says in Ephesians 4, oh, put off the old man, but put on the new man. That's who you are. Don't allow the flesh to affect you anymore